following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Um, now, for some of you, maybe for all of you, I know for me personally, when I think about or try to conceive what it means to experience God, uh, that's always been a, a, a tough thing for me because God is invisible, right? So, you know, experiencing Him, being with Him, meeting with Him, even prayer itself sometimes is a very frustrating thing. You know, to be honest, the whole idol thing, I can see why they, you know, so many people turn to idols. Because it's so much easier if there's something tangible and concrete to interact with, even if it doesn't talk back. But God is invisible and still doesn't talk back, right? So it's hard. And uh, connecting, experiencing God, communing with Him, fellowshipping with Him, in this kind of abstract thing, is hard. And, uh, you know, I try, and, and it's been my, and it is my life pursuit to, to walk with God, to know Him. But if, I don't know if you have this experience, but for me it's a frustrating thing sometimes. Because, you know, I want Jesus to show up live and in the flesh. I think this would go so much more smoothly if He would show up, right? And we all look forward to heaven when someday we will have this experience with Him that's much more face-to-face. Well, the good news for us is that God, while He is not immediately present with us, that He has given us a means to experience real relationship with Him in a much more tangible way through our relationships with each other. And in a very real sense, and I hope we see that as we look through Genesis, in a very real sense, perhaps our most profound experience of God is going to be encountered in relationships with other human beings. Okay, so God wants to connect with us in a very special way in our soul and our heart, but our experience with people is very much part of Encountering and knowing God. So it's important that we learn about relationships as God intended and designed them, and that we live in those relationships as God intended and designed. Because it truly is probably the most significant way that we experience God's presence in everyday life. So let's look at Genesis chapter 2 and uh, see what it teaches us. He says, starting in verse 18, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. As we look at this passage, the first thing that becomes clear is that something was missing. And as I said, 
God makes the declaration that, that uh, it's, there's something not good here. And he identifies that it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, that, that man was created for a purpose and a design. And God's goodness throughout Genesis chapter 1 was always lined up with its fitness for its purpose. So God created the sky and the, and the oceans and the land all for a design purpose. And he evaluated its final outcome and decided that it was fully fit and suitable for what he had designed it for. But when he comes to man in the garden, he looks at him and he says, Oh, this, this isn't going to work. Okay, what I have fitted and designed him for is not going to happen. Okay? And uh, unless there's more to the picture here. So he identifies that something is missing, something is, is in, in the man that is not suitable or not fit yet for fulfilling his purpose. Now, of course, we know that one of the commands or commissions that God gave Adam, God, God gave mankind, was to multiply and fill the earth. Okay, and, we, and we see already, now here's a problem, here's poor Adam, all by himself with no mate, and the whole reproducing thing was going to get really complicated for him. Right, so certainly on one level, uh, Eve or a woman was necessary for this whole filling the earth thing. Right? So at one level, that was part of what it was about. But I really believe it was more than that. I don't think the whole issue here was just reproduction. Okay? And in fact, one of the reasons I believe that is because of the way this whole story unfolds. I mean, God created all the animals in pairs. Uh, there was not this elaborate, dramatic scene. But with, with the account of Eve, God has to make a big deal of this whole thing, right? Uh, why didn't he just create Eve in the first place, right? If it was just a matter of reproduction, you know, God's bright, and he knows it takes two, uh, you know, why didn't he just do it? Well, obviously, there's more to the story here. There's more going on here, and, and God uh, slows this down, and he takes Adam through this whole deal, because he wants to teach us something about relationship and about his purpose in relationship. And so I'm, I'm very convinced that the, the fitness of Adam that was not yet suitable or adequate was more than just that he couldn't make babies because he didn't have a wife. Okay? It was something about his very purpose and design and creation in the first place. And in chapter 1 we learned that the purpose for God creating man was for communion with him. Right? Man alone was made in God's image. Man alone was made in some way corresponding to the nature of God so that he could have communion and fellowship with God. So man's design, man's intended purpose was to be and to live in communion and fellowship with God. And that could not be completed successfully if man was alone. Okay, that's the key point here. Uh, man, not just Adam, but Adam and Eve, mankind, cannot know God or be in relationship with God Alone, I think that's the, the force of what he's saying here. Okay, man cannot fulfill his, his final uh, purpose if he lives alone. Now, when I think about this, I think, you know, what's wrong with being alone? Okay, to be honest, I think alone is great, right? And I think, you know, really, if God is everything, and uh, if the whole purpose of this is to just be me and God in perfect communion and harmony and harmony and fellowship, aloneness would be much better, right? Because I'm not distracted by all these other things. I'm not sidetracked. I'm not derailed. It could just be me and God, right? 
Because in my own life, I don't know about you, but in my own life, where I get in all the trouble is with people. Okay? As long as I'm not with anybody and I'm not talking to anybody and nobody wants anything from me, I'm pretty much perfect. Okay? I, I don't make mistakes. I don't say stupid things. I don't say anything. So it's good. Right? What gets me in all the trouble are people. Right? Uh, and Denise can confirm this. You know, she's not here right now, but she can confirm this that, you know, our life goes great together when we're not together. You know, this her being 12,000 mile thing is great for our relationship because I can't ever mess up. Right? It's when we live together that there's all the problems. So, uh, and, and you know, it doesn't say here, it's, in the passage, it doesn't say Adam felt lonely. Okay, I don't know that Adam was complaining to God going, ah, this is such a drag being alone. Okay, I don't know that he knew the difference. Okay? Uh, he's just created, he's fresh, brand new on the scene. Um, I don't know that his evaluation, whether there was a problem with it. Now, maybe there was, I don't know, it doesn't say. But God identified it as a problem. And God knew that, that there was something missing. That Adam would not develop and, and be all that God wanted him to be. Things would not go well for him in his fulfilling his purpose if he was alone. So, um, so the important lesson here, right off the bat, for, for me, and for the other severe introverts, right, who are convinced that true spirituality, true spirituality and spiritual formation would best take place as a hermit living in a cave somewhere. Uh, sadly, that's not true. Okay? Sadly, you cannot fully develop your spiritual depth with God in isolation from people. Okay? That's the principle here. God said it is not good for man, it is not good for people to be alone uh, in terms of their final relationship with Him. All right, I used to, one of my favorite movies for a while was the, I think it's the movie Lost, right, with Tom Hanks where he gets deserted. So not Lost. Castaway. Okay, there it is, Castaway. Ends up on this, and for a long time I used to just watch that movie and drool. Thinking, oh, please strand me on some island somewhere. Just me, just me and God. All I'd ask for is a Bible and life would be good. Well, the reality is, it's not good. It is not good to be alone. We cannot experience God in aloneness. Now, I do believe that part of our spiritual formation and growth and part of what we need is, is times of solitude and silence and quiet. But that must be balanced with uh, being in relationship. So we need both. So... So the search begins for a suitable companion, a what I would call a, a compatible companion. And it says specifically that it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, I will make a helper who is just right for him. Uh, that translates two words in the Hebrew that are worth paying attention to. Um, a compatible companion. And interestingly, God takes a detour. He says, I'll make a companion for him. And he goes out and he creates all the animals. All right? Uh, it just seems odd to me. You know, it's like, is God really that clueless? Well, obviously not. God knows what he's doing. God knew that there would not be a suitable helper among the animals. So, so what, what is this all about? You know, is God just playing weird games? What is this about? Well, it obviously has meaning. There's a reason why God did it this way. And uh, part of it is, is in defining this term, uh, a suitable helper, a compatible companion. 
two words. The first word is a helper. Literally a helper. The God that God identified that Adam or the man needed a helper. The old King James, I think, translated a helpmate, whatever that is. Uh, and the word is used most often in the Old Testament to speak of help primarily coming from God. Okay, so uh, when people would call out to God and say God would come and would, would help them, it's this word. That God would become a helpmate, a helper for, for mankind. The word is also used quite often to speak of military assistance. So when Israel was backed up against the wall and needed help, they would call to their allies who would send troops and help them. Uh, it's significant to understand that backdrop and context of the word because it's not the picture of a kind of help like, for example, a slave or a servant. It's a picture of someone who brings a great deal of, of ability and help and resource to the relationship. Okay, someone who comes really very much as an equal partner, uh, and oftentimes, of course, with God, a more powerful partner. So it's important that what God is creating here is not a maybon. All right? now, a, lot of, a lot of people think you know, that God saw Adam was alone and knew he couldn't cook, and so he knew that he needed a helper to fix him dinner, right? And sadly, that's how a lot of people read Genesis 2. It's not true. It's not what it's teaching here, okay? Uh, that's definitely imposing on it some of our own bad culture. Okay, what he's talking about is a helper of equal ability, a partner who's very much matched in talent and ability and wisdom and strength uh, with Adam. And again, remember, the, the whole point of this is not because Adam's lonely and can't cook, it's to help him develop his relationship with God. So he needs a helper to do that, a, a partner, somebody who is compatible to that end. Uh, it says, so, he's, so, so for one, he needs a helper, and uh, really the context here is one who would rule and exercise dominion over the, over the world with him. Okay, so God, is, God identifies the need for a partner who can rule with Adam who can exercise dominion over all that God has created alongside him. Uh, the other word that's used is the word, uh, literally it means in front of. It can, it can be translated opposite of, but not as it's used in this form, so it wouldn't be appropriate in this context. Uh, but it really has the idea of corresponding to. Okay? The idea of something that corresponds to something else. A helper that somehow corresponds to the nature and person of Adam. Now, this word is important because God does not create for Adam somebody who is exactly like him, which I think would have been much better. Okay, if if you know if he'd have made somebody who saw everything just like Adam did, thought just like Adam did, was in every way just like Adam. Uh, in other words, if God had just cloned Adam only a female version, uh, it would have been much easier, in my opinion. However, that's not what the word means. Okay? It means something that corresponds to it. In other words, it, it matches it, but not matches it because it's identical, because, but because it fits together perfectly. Okay, so, for example, put it in, in uh, terms of magnetism, uh, a, a magnet, two magnets correspond to each other, because one's northern magnetic pole attracts the southern magnetic pole. Okay? They're not identical. In fact, you could say in some senses they are opposite, but they correspond in a way that they, they attract and stick to each other. All right? Or you could use the illustration of puzzle pieces. There has to be enough similarity that they fit together, 
but there is a sense of oppositeness to it. Okay, one piece has to correspond to the other in order for it to fit or match. Okay, that's the idea of the word here. That, that the, the person that God would make for Adam, for man, needed to be in many ways like him, but in some ways not like him. Uh, it had to correspond to a large degree that it would match him, but it would need to fit the parts so it would go together. Okay, so they would be in many ways different, but in many ways corresponding. So I like the word compatible companionship. And not compatible in the sense that it's, well, yeah, compatible in the sense that it's a good fit. It's a good match, all right? Um, so that's what he needed. And uh, so God goes out and he creates all the animals, okay? And he brings them one by one to Adam. And uh, I don't know how this worked, you know, how God stood, how Adam stood there all day naming things. And what he named them, we don't know. And that's not important because the point of this has to do not with what Adam named the animals, but which one would be a suitable helper for him. Well, they all go by the fish, the birds, the elephants, the giraffes, the cows, the dogs, the cats. Nothing fits. Okay, Nothing is a compatible companion. Nothing corresponds enough to his own nature and matches him enough that it's a good fit. And at the end of the day, the sun's going down, and Adam is all depressed, going, you know, these animals, they're all beautiful, they're all lovely, you know, you did, God, you're amazing. But, you know, I just didn't feel anything with any of them, okay? Kind of like the ultimate bad dating service, right? You know, you brought me all these things, and just, you know, just didn't fit, right? I just didn't really feel the, like, vibes, you know? I don't get it. Something's still missing, Maybe it uh, just highlights for Adam his aloneness. Maybe it just accentuates for him that he's unique in the world and there isn't anything like him. And you know, he tries to talk to him, and I don't know if the animals at that time could talk back. Maybe they could, but they just couldn't get a good conversation going. You know, they couldn't connect, right? Well, so God identifies this lack, and God, it says, creates for him Custom builds a perfect match. So uh, Adam puts Adam to sleep. He actually takes some of Adam. He takes a piece of Adam, and he makes a match. And of course, we know it says he takes a rib, or literally, it could it could probably better be translated, takes a chunk of his side, not so much a rib. Uh, the word really has the idea of just taking out a chunk of his side, ribs and meat and bone and all, and uh, built literally built a helper corresponding to him. And uh, we've, we've probably all heard the analogy that God took the part out of Adam's side because he wanted to create for him a partner who would be by his side. Two people who would work and stand side by side, corresponding as a partnership. Uh, and it's true, God did not take it off of his head that she would be over him did not take from his feet that she would be under him, but from his side that they would really be equal, that there would be a real partnership, that, that she would be one who would always be by his side. Um, and in that was a, was a perfect match, a perfect fit. And the whole point of this is to emphasize that when God made Adam and Eve, he didn't just say, well, we've got to have male, we've got to have female. You know, that's how it works. It really is emphasizing that, that she was uniquely created as a match for him. Okay, Uniquely created. 
to correspond to all that he needed. And so after he sews everybody back up and he, he breathes life into Eve and builds her, it says that God brings the woman to the man. And I just get this picture of, of Adam kind of sitting in the waiting room, waiting. And finally, you know, God comes through the door with this woman. And uh, the, the Hebrew poetry is really quite dramatic and powerful. Uh, the, the first word of the, of the poem, it actually is a poem, is, is the word this, this one. And it kind of has the, if we, if we could translate it into modern English, you could transfer that, that Adam's first word was, now we're talking. Okay, now we're talking. Okay, and he gets all excited because all of a sudden there is one who matches him. And he says, finally, there is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. There is one who is like me. And this phrase in Hebrew, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, is used to speak of family relationship. He says, now I have kin. I have kinship. I have someone who is not just another being, but who is family with me. Right? Uh, some even see in this a, a covenant uh, of a commitment to be with her uh, in, in a bond of covenant relationship. And then finally he names her. And uh, just as God's naming showed his dominion over certain things and, uh, and man named the animals, now Adam names Eve. And it does set up in their relationships an order, an ordering. In fact, it's interesting when you look at the ordering, it's God to man, man to Eve, man and woman together over the animals. Uh, in the fall in Genesis 3, that gets turned completely upside down. It becomes the serpent who leads Eve, who leads Adam, who all together stand in rebellion against God. And we'll see that when we look at chapter 3. Uh, so, so Adam is happy now. Life is good. He's got a, a partner, one who fits him perfectly, a, a perfect match. And finally, the passage ends with this, this word from the narrator that says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And in this, it really gives the ultimate goal or purpose of, of human relationships, uh, specifically in the context here of marriage. But as we'll see later, it's true really of God's design for relationships in general. God says, first of all, that, that uh, well, the goal is that they would become one. Okay? So God creates man... He realizes that he's not complete in himself and he needs a match. So he creates woman. He brings them together. He says, now the two shall become one. There is something about what they can be together that cannot be alone. And he says that ultimately is the goal of your relationship. The purpose of being together as a match set is to be one. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, uh, he says, you know, for this reason... A man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife. Uh, part of this relationship is, is making less important other relationships, which, you know, mom and dad are quite important. In, Israeli, in Israelite culture, they were extremely important. Okay, taking care of your parents was a big deal. But this relationship was to become even more important than that. And so you leave former relationships... Uh, you forsake them literally. Not that you don't love your parents anymore because that was upheld uh, other places in Scripture. But it's no longer the most important relationship. 
You now have a new priority in relationship with your spouse. And then you are to cling to them. The word literally means stick to your wife. Um, the, the word is used in the Old Testament uh, with the sense of clinging to someone in loyalty and affection. Okay? It's the idea of a, of a deep, intimate bond or connection between two people. So we see it with Ruth to Naomi, that Ruth clung to Naomi. We see it with the men of Judah to David. It says when David became king, the men of Judah clung to him. But most significantly, it's used in the Old Testament to speak of the relationship between Israel clinging or cleaving to God in loyalty and affection. So the man was to leave his father and mother, and he was to form this affection, this loyalty to his wife. Okay? Uh, interestingly, in the, the context where it's used of God, of Israel clinging to God, uh, these words or attitudes describe that relationship. It was to be one of fear and serving. It was to be one of love and obedience. And it was to be one of walking in His ways and keeping His commandments. Uh, there's a lot of stuff here on how relationships work. We don't have time to go into. But cleaving, clinging, that love and affection in, in, involves and includes things like trust, respect, uh, serving, uh, and it goes both ways. It's not just wives serving husbands, but it goes both ways. That we serve each other. We are devoted to each other. We emotionally connect with each other. Uh, we have affection. Uh, there is closeness and intimacy. And, of course, that in marriage is seen most uh, visibly in sexual union, but it goes far beyond that. And what God is describing here in oneness is not just sexual union, but it is becoming so much of one heart and one mind that, that you are seen as one. In fact, when we talk about oneness, um, it is the goal of their relationship. Okay, And it, that's God designed them and called them to be one, um, that they were to be so deeply united that, that there was something singular or one about their relationship. Um, oneness, we use words like unity, harmony, Communion, community, those are all words that really speak of oneness. Community, it's a word that takes two words, com and unity, and sticks them together. Com means with, unity means one together. So one together with, right? Community. Communion, it's the same word, just with a different ending. Communion, being united together, right? These are words that we use to describe deep relationship. Relationship where there's oneness. Well, how do you do that? What does that really look like? Um, being coming from my counseling psychology background, you know, as a marriage counselor, one of the things you'd always look for is couples who are enmeshed. Who knows what it means? Some of you counselor types know what enmeshed means. And enmeshed means that uh, they're one. It means two people have become one. But what it really means is that the weak one got swallowed up by the strong one. Okay? So it's a relationship where one domineering personality has so overtaken the weaker personality that they're one person, all right, um, because the personality and identity of the weaker one is just completely absorbed in the stronger one. And they call that an enmeshed relationship. Now, that's not what it means to be one in the biblical sense, okay? We're not talking about becoming one because I'm always right and you're always wrong and you just do what I say, okay? Now, this would be much easier, 
Okay, much easier if we could do it this way. It's not the picture. Uh, what does it mean to be one? What does it mean to have oneness in a relationship? Well, I believe it, it means very much two individual people who are unique in their personality and in their character, who have their own thoughts and ideas and abilities and strengths. Uh, remember, God made this partnership of people who fit together, not because they were identical, but because they fit. So oneness means making a relationship where the pieces fit together, where there is harmony and oneness because my strengths complement their weaknesses and vice versa, and we bring into this oneness, right? What does that look like? Well, I think it, there are at least four things that must be true to have oneness in a relationship. First of all, you have to have a compatible nature. There has to be a correspondence in who we are as a person. Um, he could not correspond to the animals, which, by the way, some of you, this will be sad news. I hate to tell you this, but a dog is not a man's best friend. That's what this means. Now, some of you love your dog or your cat, and that's cool. But your cat or your dog can never bring you to the kind of oneness and relationship with God that a person can. Okay? It doesn't work that way. Because there's no correspondence of nature. You can talk to your dog all day long. But you know what? The dog has no idea what you're saying. Okay, it smiles and it wags its tail and it acts. It pre- they know how to pretend. Okay, like, like me when I listen to people speaking Thai. Right? I know how to pretend. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. Cop, cop. <laughs> I just pretend, right? It's your dog when you're talking to it. It's just pretending. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. It has no clue what you're saying, right? Because it doesn't correspond to you. Okay, there has to be a correspondence in who we are in our being. And that's why Scripture says it's not advisable. It's not good for a non-believer to be married to a believer because there's no correspondence. There's going to be something that does not match up in their core being. Right? One's a spiritual being. One's a spiritually dead being. doesn't make for a good relationship. Right? So there has to be something corresponding in our nature. We have to be, in many ways, alike. Not identical, but there must be more ways that we are alike than different. Right, so we need to share values, share interests, share uh, the ability to communicate at the same level about the same things. Okay, that's corresponding nature. Uh, secondly, uh, we need to have a common purpose and mission. And of course, Adam and Eve were given the mission to uh, multiply and fill the earth and to, to have dominion over it. Okay, they had a common mission. Same thing's true for us. We, uh, we need to be on the same, doing the same uh, working towards the same goal or end. Now, we all know that we bring to our team, whether it's in a relationship or any other kind of team, a marriage, the kind of team, we all bring our own strengths and abilities to help get uh, to accomplish that mission. But if uh, we're on two separate missions, the team won't work, right? We've got to clearly be working toward the same thing. That brings oneness. Uh, thirdly, Philippians chapter 2 uh, gives us some more insight on this one. It says, um, Philippians 2, 2, Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Uh, that tells us that unity, oneness, comes from being like-minded. Okay, it means that we, agree, we, we match up in our thinking. You know, I won't ask you to raise hands on this, but how many of you, you know, in your marriage relationship, you just always think alike? 
For me, never. Yeah, it just seems like we never think alike. I'm thinking this or she's thinking that way. So we got we to work on that. Because unity, oneness, comes from thinking alike. Finally, uh, Philippians also says that you must be in full accord. Okay, that's not a Honda Accord. It's a, it means you are in agreement. Okay, again, okay, in a marriage, wow, on most relationships, right? Full agreement that you agree together about what's the right thing to do, right? Uh, how in the world is that possible? Okay, that's what oneness is. That just seems impossible. Well, option number one would be it's possible if one person is always right. Okay, now I like this one as long as I'm the one always right. Okay, I like this model as long as whatever I say is true and you just do what I say and don't ask questions. Okay, but that's not what God had in mind here. Okay, it's not partnership. It's not working together. It's not, it's not oneness okay, in a balanced sense. Uh, so how is it possible? Then, well, the only other option is if the two are conforming themselves to a higher standard. Right? So the only way to ever achieve unity or oneness is if we are becoming like-minded with Christ. Okay? If we are becoming one in accord and agreement with the will and purpose of God. If we are growing to have a nature that corresponds more and more to the nature and character of God. So in other words, the more we become Christ-like, the more oneness can be possible in human relationships. The more we take on in ourselves the character and nature and likeness of Jesus, the more we share that with other human beings and we have oneness in relationship. It's the only way it's possible. Now in the garden, sin hadn't entered yet and they had the potential for this kind of relationship as they would be shaped and molded to correspond to God in His image they could have oneness together in, in relationship. And praise God that that's the work of Christ. The work of Christ was to undo the effects of sin and the fall and our individualism and our, our selfishness and our pride that, that makes us not like God and separated from each other. And so God has saved us, He's forgiven us, He's restoring us, and He is making us like Himself. All right? So... The core, what this teaches us is that the core thing of a relationship, for any relationship to work, in a marriage, with your children, with work partners, any relationship to work, the measure of its success is the degree to which both people are growing to be Christ-like, are taking on in their own life more and more the image and likeness of Christ, who are corresponding more to His nature and being. So what this means is, uh, when you get into a fight, disagreement, misunderstanding, right, with your wife, your child, your co-worker, what that means is, one of you is not corresponding to and lining up in relationship with God. Of course, we always know it's the other person, right? So what it means is we need, really need to pray for them, right? Or, more likely, we're both not quite there yet. We're both not quite there yet. And thus, this is, so here's the deal, okay? Final word, here's the deal. God created relationships because it really does teach us and show us where we are at in relationship with Him, right? When we're not getting along, when we have a problem with another human being, we have a problem with God, okay? When we're not living in unity and harmony with, with, our, with our spouse, 
with other people we, we must work with, with other believers in the church, we have a problem with God. Okay? And the degree to which we can experience and know God in our individual life is dependent on our relationship with people around us. And the closer that and deeper that relationship, the more important it becomes in measuring our relationship with God. Right? Um, and this is important because, you know, as I said, the garden is all about knowing God. So how do we know God through relationships? How do we know God through companionship with human beings? Well, it's significant, and let me just read as we close from John 17. Uh, incredible words of Jesus. As Jesus prays his prayer in John 17, he says, I don't ask for these only, but for all who will believe in me through their message. And I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they also may be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, as we are one. Uh, amazing words, amazing words of Jesus, an amazing prayer. And in his high priestly prayer, Jesus made it clear that this was uh, at the very core of why he came. And you see, what, what, what's described in the garden isn't just for marriage. And I want you to know that. Some of you who are single are thinking, man, I can't really know God until I get married. Not true. Okay, this is not limited or just about marriage. Okay, this is about God's design for relationship at every level within the body of Christ. And you look through the New Testament, I have time, but you look through the New Testament and there are um, tons of passages where Paul and Jesus and Peter all urge us to be one with each other in Christ. Why? Well, first of all, because it is what God is. Okay, God, we believe in a God who is a triune God, a God who is one being who exists and has existed eternally in three distinct persons. Okay? And most of us just miss the importance and significance of this because we don't understand the core thing of relationship. Um, you know why the God of, of Jesus, the God of Christianity, is better than the God of Judaism or the God of Islam? Do you know why? Well, because it's true. <laughs> but they don't always buy that. Okay? But there's, more, there's, there's another reason. The reason why the God of the New Testament is so much better than the God of the Old Testament and the God of Islam is because in the New Testament you see God fully developed as three persons in relationship. Okay? It is so huge that God is not just a lonely God sitting on His throne in heaven passing out judgments. God was never that way. God has existed from, from before the foundations of the world as a God who is a father to a son in relationship in communion and fellowship. But their, their fellowship and communion was so perfect, so full and complete, that they were described as one. It doesn't mean that they were alike. A father is different than a son. They were different in relationship. Okay? God the Father was over the Son. There is an ordering in the triune relationship. Okay, they were equal, but the Father was still over the Son. And Jesus says throughout the New Testament, I have come to live in obedience to my Father. There was an ordering and a subservience. There was one over and there was one under. Okay? It didn't affect their equality, but it affected their roles in relationship. Um, and in that, they were one. There was perfect oneness and unity in their relationship. So here's the deal. When we are in relationship with other human beings, 
and we achieve oneness in that relationship, we are living out the very nature of God as a triune God in relationship. Okay, you get that? That's, you should just you should all go, whoa! Okay, Because that's huge stuff. See, and we, we don't get it because we don't really understand the significance and power of a relationship. What does it mean to be in relationship with another human being? Well, it means to share something of what God is. Okay? It means to share something of the very essence and nature of what God is. Okay, so if you have a friend, do any of you have a friend? Boy, some of you need help. Okay, a lot of you didn't raise your hands. Okay, a few shook your head. Hopefully you have a friend. Hopefully you have a, a companion in life. Uh, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's someone you're close to. Maybe it's a parent-child thing. Any kind of relationship. In that relationship, you have the opportunity to be what God is in Himself by having a relationship, by communing and fellowshipping, by loving and by receiving love. Okay? The garden... The very center of the garden, there's a tree, there's relationship, there's covenant. There is human relationship. Because in that human relationship, man would know what God is. And he would come to experience relationship, communication, communion, union with another being. Okay, That is what life is all about. That is really all that life is. Uh, and throughout the New Testament, as I said, throughout marriage and all these things, we are called to community. Okay? To be the church is not to have a meeting on Sunday morning. It is not to sing songs. Uh, it is not to have a building. To be the church is what? It is to be a community of faith. It is to be a group of people who come together for the purpose of creating oneness in relationship in Christ. Okay? That is what life is to be about. And it's through that that we experience and know God. Okay, if we have a hard time in human relationships, which we do, I do, we have a hard time in relationship with God, okay, because they are connected. They are intertwined and connected. Um, We have got to learn how to live with each other because it's the only way we really will learn and really will ever know uh, how to be in relationship with God, how to be one with Him. Uh, We find God and the potential to meet with God in every single human relationship. When you show grace and compassion to someone, you are demonstrating the qualities and characters of God toward that person. When you receive love from any human being, okay, that is something of the very being and nature of God, the very essence of God. Last thing, we, uh, to have relationship, we have to have this corresponding nature. Uh, we will never know and experience God's presence in our life until we are truly like Him. Okay? That's why holiness is so important. Uh, in the next chapter, when Adam and Eve sin, what it does is it makes man no longer corresponding in his nature with God. That's why it breaks the relationship. Okay, it changes who man is. So he now no longer can identify with God. And God can no longer identify with man. 
See, it's vitally important that Christ come into our life and not only forgive us of sin, but take away the very sin nature of who we are. That, our, that we put to death the deeds of the flesh. That we become truly like God. Not just so we can say, look at what a good person I am, but because it's the only way we'll ever truly experience God in our life. It's the only way we'll truly experience God in relationships in our marriages, in relationships at work, in relationships with our children. As we take on the nature and likeness of Christ. Um, as we close, I would like you to just think and reflect how much of your life is devoted to deeper relationship. You know, the reality is it's so easy to get caught up doing things, uh, oftentimes doing things to avoid relationship, right? I mean, how many guys are workaholics to avoid the relationships at home? Uh, how many people are busy running around in this activity and that activity to avoid deep relationships? Uh, how many people can talk a mile a minute and can talk, you know, the leg off a chair to avoid connecting in true two-way relationship, right? See, there's all these ways that we sabotage relationship. And we need to be aware of those things because the way we do it with each other is exactly how we do it with God. You know, how many of us feel that we are not good enough to be in relationships with others and we're down on ourselves? We feel inadequate and never measuring up in human relationships. And that spells out our relationship with God. See, God wants to connect with you. And more than anything else, He will do it as you connect with people in human relationships. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that you have made us truly in your image. That in ways we cannot fathom, we are, are like you. There is in us something very powerful, very resonant of your nature and your being. And that is nowhere more visible or apparent than as we live and move and breathe in relationships with other people. Uh, and yet, Lord, how easy we can sabotage and run away from that very thing that you've given us to teach us how to be with you. So, Lord, we ask and pray that you would, uh, you would teach us and lead us to do relationships well. Not just to do them well, but to make them the single priority of our life apart from knowing you, uh, from loving you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. You would teach us how to love our neighbor as ourself. And that is all the commandments. And that is all that ever really matters in life. And that is our eternal uh, calling uh, to be your children. So help us, we pray. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. 
For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.